Good evening, and welcome to Midnight Audio Theater, the weekly show where we feature new and original audio dramas, be they adventure, mystery, sci-fi, or comedy. I'm your host, Kathy Ranella. Hello, audio drama files. I am happy to report that our guest trio of tale tellers, Folkslore, Death by Dying, and It's All Been Done Radio Hour are back again this week with stories of suspense, mystery, and amusement. A reminder, tonight's show is rated PG-13 for horror elements and suggestive content. Coming up first in this terrific trio, it's time for one more story from Folkslore. We've been down below in the subway tunnels. We've met the delivery person who stops by the building above. Now it's time to venture inside and see what the ever-watching eyes are seeing and the things that they aren't. Folkslore is a series of queer horror stories written by queer writers and exploring queer horror without the usual queerphobic tropes. What started as a three-episode pilot series soon became a notable presence on the lists of many best podcasts of 2020. That led to a full eight-episode season of new stories that launched just this year. Each episode intertwines the tales of queer inhabitants of the city of Glasgow, as their lives oscillate between the mundane and supernatural. Folkslore asks the question, if paranoia is common sense, how can you tell if you're being unreasonable? It's time to explore that question as we start our listening tonight with this story entitled Surveillance. Enjoy. Welcome to Folkslore. Folkslore is a queer horror podcast written by queers for queers. This means it features themes of queerphobia, but doesn't exploit queerphobic horror tropes. There are no overarching content warnings for this episode. We include detailed content warnings with timestamps in our show notes. Please take care of yourself. Sit back, relax, and pay no mind to the voice just underneath the surface, whispering your name. That's just Dev, our sound designer, trying out some new things. Hallway. Empty. 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 Window. Dark. Floor. Old carpet marked with shuffled feet. Hopeful company. Midnight rush. Did you see 9B last night? Hush. Elevator. Closed. Functional. 9A. Inside. 9B. Inside. 9C. Out the door. Cornelius. Status report on 9D. 9D is inside. 9D is always inside. Ellie? Elevator empty. Should have seen them last night, though. <laughs> hmm. Who's this? Oh. It's her. 9B. A visitor exits. 
effortlessly wears a messy dress that carries yesterday's creases. Waves, then shuts the door. Breaks out a phone. Walks through the hall. A finger chewed at its tip depresses the button for the lift. The elevator roars awake. Ground floor to ninth. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Doors open. A short person stands, unaware I'm here, engrossed in a pixelated conversation. Elbows the button to go down, frowns, open a bag in pursuit of something, something, a chapstick. Brings to the lip, then smacks. Elevator going down, down, down. Elevator stops. Doors open. Lobby is empty. Footsteps. Clack, clack, clack. Echoing through the space. Empty at this time of day. The caretaker isn't awake and the landlord is away. Thankfully. The only people here are the two of us. Looking up, staring right at me. Thumbs up. A smile made for the camera. 90 is a sucker for smiles. It fades. The double doors receive a cold handshake. Pushed open, then discarded. Fall shut. Footsteps, click, clack, out of reach. Gone. 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 Hallway. Empty, empty, empty. Window, dawn. Floor, old carpet marked with shuffled feet. Comfortable heels, morning after. Elevator, closed. Functional. 9A, inside. 9B, inside. 9C. since yesterday. Angular and half cast in shadow, like a sliced triangle. The address almost illegible. Annie Van Vaves, flat 9B, Glasgow, Scotland. Who is it from? Doesn't say. Just a logo, a picture frame, an eye. Is that? Or could it be? <gasps> I think it might be. Oh my god! The door opens. A young woman, a girl, shows her face, stays in the shadows. A dark hand reaches for the box, grabs, tucks beneath arm, backs up, up, up. The door closes. She looks sad, tired. How do you know? We didn't even see her face. And maybe she's just wired that way. She can't be older than 13. I've never seen her family here. She only leaves the flat on odd days, never in between. She's probably just a strange kid. None of our business. <laughs> Easy for you to say. Hey. You don't stare at her door all day. I know the grain of the wood, the slither of living room, how the shadows fall each afternoon and how the light changes with the seasons. You don't have reason to care, but I watch and I listen. Don't tell me what I can and can't make my business. Okay, okay. I didn't know you could care that much. I think someone has a little crush. Shut up. Cornelius and Annie sitting in a tree. K-I-S-S-I Where did you learn that word? The kid from upstairs sings it to his sister sometimes. Strange. What? We've never done that before. Done what? Strong songs.
is not big, not small. There are two windows on the far side, cornered by a door. An old couch sits at an angle, its cushions empty of life. An armchair that doesn't look quite right for the apartment, barely holding on to the corner of a rug over carpet. Flimsy curtains hold out most of the sunlight. A face appears, a young girl who looks old. Shaved hair, framing eyes that are a warm brown but cold. Her features dark with backlit shadow. Is this thing working? Is this thing working? Hello? Who is there? Hello? My name is Hal. I look out over the hallway. This is Ellie. She's our elevator gal. Cornelius, he watches over the dark corner at the back of the corridor. And then there's Lobby. Howdy. Pretty self-explanatory, really. And you are? Camera 721859. Right. I don't think they'll like us, Hall. You don't know that. We've been in for years. We were different at first, too. Cam, can you tell us what you see? The room is not big, not small. There are two windows on the far side, cornered by a yeah, door. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in more detail. You're inside 9D, right? Answer not found. It's okay, pal. Don't worry about it. Hey, can anyone see me? The delivery driver knocks three sharp knuckles onto the wood. A package under her arm. She's impatient, but she just waits a minute. Just like she should. The apartment is empty. What do you mean? She hasn't left her flat in days. The apartment is empty. Impossible. She must be hidden in the corners you can't see. The apartment is empty. Okay, okay. No need to get pissy. Yes. Have you seen her yet? No. Where did she go? I I I don't know. Mm. She locks the window. Checks the door. Lock one. Lock two. Lock three. She pulls the chair over the floor under the handle. Shoves the broom upside down over the window. A pillow from the couch covers the slit that shows the hallway light. Something's giving her a fright. And like every night, she's checking every corner. She is boiling. A packet of instant noodles. 
facing from the back to the front walls. She locks the window, checks the door. Lock one, lock two, lock three. She pulls the chair over the floor under the handle, shoves the broom upside down over the window. A pillow from the couch covers the slit that shows the hallway light. Something's giving her a fright, and like every night, she's checking every corner. Stumbles over to the couch, lies down. A bright light envelops her from within, and within second, she's disappeared. Doors buzz open. Nine B's visitor from Thursday walks over to the left. She sifts through her bag for her lipstick. Curtains open to pursed mouth. Soft click clack of heels on carpet. She presses the ninth button, then turns to her reflection. Checks her transgressions. A shade of red that dares to live out with its lines. But it is perfect. The doors slide open. And we move into the hallway. Two box croissants precariously balanced on left arm. A morning date. 9B must be really getting into this. A white flash. Annie appears on the couch, asleep. Her clothes creased, hair bent to one side, upright. She wakes up. What? Annie walks to the kitchen, opens the cupboard with cereal in, grabs the empty box. She tosses it across the space, angry with the box herself, the waste. She falls back on the couch, face down. I don't understand. She just appeared inside her apartment? Correct. Hey, friends? And we move into the hallway. Two box croissants precariously balanced on left arm. A morning date. 9B must be really getting into this. A white flash. Annie appears on the couch, asleep. Her clothes creased, hair bent to one side, upright. She wakes up. What?
night. She's checking every corner. Stumbles over to the couch. Lies down. A bright light envelops her from within. And within seconds, she's disappeared. Um, this is ridiculous. If you ask me, they're malfunctioning. Oh, Enters from the basement door, hunched form, carrying a backpack, large steps. He has a goal, pushes open the fire door into the stairway. Where did he go? No one ever takes the stairs, except the delivery driver. We don't have cameras in there, what is he hiding? He steps out of the stairway. Backpack held up to cover his face, he is rushing. Walks up to the back of the hallway and... Turns the corner. Starts fussing with the door right away. Who is this guy? He puts down his bag. The back of his head is covered in darkness. Pulls out something small. Sticks it in the lock. Click. Click. Pushed against the door. It doesn't open. He pulls out a crowbar. Wedges it in and... Bang! The door shoots open. The man grabs it before it can slam against the wall. Methodically closes it and locks the first lock, then the third. What is he doing? He's looking around, takes in the window, the couch, the table, the broken bathroom light. He hides his face from my view, grabs the chair and puts it back where it belongs, tidies the couch pillows, then clears the table, piling dishes in the sink for later. He sits down, back towards me, pulls up his bag, which I can only barely see, opens the zipper then methodically pulls out a pair of cuffs, places it left of him, then a roll of tape placed beside the cuffs, a tape recorder on his right, a notepad, a pen, checks the Then, suddenly, he turns, faces me. I see him looking. He gets up and walks towards me, a smirk on his face. He is old, wrinkles, but not the kind you win from laughter. He's getting closer, stops, his hand stretches out, and... Folklore is an In the Works and Tin Can Audio co-production, supported by Creative Scotland. Surveillance was written by myself, Bibi June, they, them. Hall was played by me. Cornelius by Sid Briscoe, he, him. Ellie by Hannah Raymond Cox, she, her. Cam by David Devereaux, he, they. And Lobby by Ross McFarlane, he, him. Folklore sound design is done by David Devereaux.
Episode art by JM5, they, them. And graphic design by yours truly. Stay in touch with all things Folkslore by following at FolkslorePod on Twitter. Support us by subscribing to Folkslore, rating the podcast online, and telling your friends. Ladies and gentlemen, non-binary people, androgens, NBs, demigirls and boys, mixes, misses, misters, neutras, two-spirit, femme fatales and them fatales, pangenders, queers, bigenders, trigenders, twinks, dykes, aces, eros, butches, femmes, masks, gender fluids, and any and all others. I bid you a very loved farewell. Again, that was Surveillance, a story from Folkslore, produced by Tin Can Audio and In the Works Productions. To stay in the know on all things Folkslore, go to Twitter with at TinCanAudio and at FolkslorePod. And listen to Folkslore on your favorite podcast app. Now, moving right along, if you've been listening these last two weeks, you'll know that Death by Dying does a lovely job of taking the strange and absurd and making it a charming addition to the series of mysterious deaths the obituary writer chronicles. An Evening Post Productions podcast. The series started out as an idea in the mind of writer Evan Gulak as an assignment for a college class to create a podcast episode. Inspired to pursue a fiction story, Evan sought out the help of Nico Gerentes, who at the time was president of the Campus Audio Drama Club. With their powers combined, a single episode turned into a full season of stories that would become Death by Dying. With six Audioverse awards and 17 nominations, it's no surprise that Death by Dying is returning with a season two this fall to continue the stories of the obituary writer of Crestfall, Idaho. There's been plenty to listen to in the meantime, however, with multiple miniseries, specials, and crossover episodes to keep listeners hooked in between seasons. And coming up very soon, there's a fan fiction live stream in the works where Evan and Nico will read some select stories live on Twitch. Fan fiction submissions are still being accepted up through June 27th. You can find everything you need to know at deathbydyingpod.com. And while you go looking for that, stay tuned for Death by Dying Episode 3, Isaiah Died. Enjoy. Greetings. I am the modestly handsome obituary writer of this fetching town of Crestfall, Idaho, and this is Death by Dying. The ceiling on the church of right here right now is at once beautiful and underwhelming. A disturbingly handsome Albanian man arrived in town with a vision. He would paint a neo-futurist depiction of the Great Flood using monochrome pastels. When you look up from the pews, you are mesmerized by the swirling, raging waters, animals scattered in every direction. On the edges of the painting are fishermen casting lines, hoping to catch something to take home for Sunday dinner. It was meant to be a commentary on something, but no one is quite sure on what. But alas, the disturbingly handsome Albanian man never finished his work. He fell in love, you see, with the incredibly wealthy Lady Yolanda Wickersham, and the two skipped town together and so he left without ever having drawn the Ark. So, it's just sort of a bunch of drowning animals, I suppose. But it feels like a metaphor for something bigger, a stormy sea and some animals that are having a bad day. Pastor Jeff was having a bad day, and it was last week that he came before the devout churchgoers to tell them all about it. I'm uh, having a really bad day. 
I'm gonna just get this out there, I guess. For one, for starters, I have an avocado I'm growing to make guacamole, but it died. So that was, ah, that was a negative. I was walking out of my house and I was carrying my yogurt, which I was having for breakfast, and it spilled all over the cement, and I felt really sad. But on top of it, the, the yogurt would just be there on the sidewalk for, like, a couple weeks, and I'll have to see it, and it'll be a reminder of one of my failures. And then from there, I went out to my uh, suitably priced mid-sized sedan, and there was a ding on the headlight, and I was I was upset about that. But then, uh, you won't believe this. Afterwards, I was expressing my feelings about the way things were going, and I hurt my knee. Won't be uh, doing any frisbee golf this weekend now. But on top of this, also, I have new drapes, and I don't like them. Oh. And Isaiah Goodwin, I found him this morning dead in his chambers. So now I have to write a sermon, and that's gonna take time. Ugh. Well, welcome to church. This is an obituary of Elder Isaiah Goodwin. Isaiah Goodwin, 98, was a long-dedicated member of the clergy and the head of the Kick the Bucket Committee. The church likes to be on top of things when someone dies, prepared immediately with flowers and scrapbooks and customized sermons. So the Kick the Bucket Committee keeps track of everyone's age, health, habits, and genetic dispositions to determine when they are most likely to pass the final wind. They are almost always entirely wrong. An instance in which they were most definitely wrong was the case of Elder Goodwin's wife, Margaret, who died after an unexpected accident involving a frying pan and a glass of orange juice. She never did get enough vitamin D. It was after this exceptionally unfortunate affair that Elder Goodwin found himself in a grief support group held in the church basement. The group was run by two sisters of the church who never spoke, which made communication a mute point. They instead nodded and gestured calmly, which was enough to set the group alight with monologues of woe. A boyfriend run over by his own lawnmower. A daughter who vanished into the dark woods, never to return. A friendly hobo who was attacked late in the night by a pack of three man-eating cats. Which I have absolutely no further information about. Absolutely no knowledge to provide whatsoever. My three cats were at home with me that night. Geraldine Portage recently joined the group as well, whose husband finally awoke from a coma, which had caused far more grief than if he had just died already. Bear in mind that this was a marriage held together by mutual animosity. These people loved to fight, and they would not leave each other because they wanted to be there when the other person died so they could look down and say, I told you, I told you this would happen. Geraldine had waited for this moment, and now disappointment would be a mild statement. Grief will find us where it will. When Elder Goodwin passed, a spot opened up in the support group and the spot was promptly filled by Charlotte Dawson, whose aunt recently bled to death due to a paper cut and was subsequently eaten by three man-eating cats, which I, again, have no knowledge of. Charlotte and I have become friends. I have a friend. I don't mean to bore you with the details, but she is a delightful human being with wit and a surprisingly deep understanding of squirrel migration patterns. We talk about current events, and the recent mudstorms. I tell her about the process of rigor mortis, and she updates me on her newest walrus haikus. Furious dawn, 
have a grudging walrus sings. Had a winged sponge. Back to the death of Elder Isaiah Goodwin. He was found in his private quarters, face first in his Bible, a fact many members of the Church of Right Here Right Now found inspiring. The Bible was open to the Books of Kings, in which Elder Goodwin had circled a single verse. <clears throat> then two bears came out of the woods and mauled forty-two of the youths. Elder Goodwin was drained of all color, more pale than the Angel of Death, which is impressive. The Angel of Death is remarkably pale. Her skin has the undertones of a snowman made of coconut meat. His lips were a deep, deep purple. He grimaced as though death had been a bad move. The nights preceding his dismal end were filled with dreadful moans coming from his chambers, according to the clergy. Through the night, he would not sleep, or so it sounded, grumbling wretched groans. But no one really thought anything of it, because he had a fondness for creature features. His death had come as a surprise to all who knew him, however. The grief support group had done wonders, and until recently, he was considered to be one of the cheeriest 98-year-olds around. He got rid of the body pillow of his wife. He started singing in the shower again, much to the delight and dismay of the others who lived in the church. His favorite song was called Two Lovebirds by Crestfall's very own The Ballet Go Backward Boys. I'm looking for a girl. He's looking for a girl. A girl is just for me. A girl is just for him. And we'll live happily until the day we die. And become worm food. Just two lovebirds. Just two lovebirds. Yes, we'll be food for the birds. Cause we were eaten by worms. There are no words when you've been eaten by worms. And subsequently by birds. But everything changed when Elder Goodwin left the support group. His youthful sprightliness withered, his muscles ached, his ankles clicked when he walked. I decided to pay the grief support group a visit. The church basement is cavernous. It smells as though bananas used to be there, but no longer are. There was a single light as I entered the room, and the rest of the room receded into utter darkness. Within the haloed bubble of light sat ten members, each with a story to tell. At the front of the group were the two silent nuns. They were wearing habits that perfectly blended in with the stretching darkness behind them, so they appeared to be merely two floating heads. They turned to me simultaneously as I entered the room, and they smiled peacefully. I was struck immediately by the upbeat attitude of the group. The voices of the members were practically giggly, I don't throw the word giggly around like some midlife crisis poet trying to find himself in the mountains with a flock of sheep. Giggly is serious business. Everyone spoke of their traumatic experiences like they were talking about something funny that had happened to them at the grocery store. Even Charlotte seemed as though she didn't have a care in the world. You know, every time I close my eyes, I just see the face of my aunt's cold, lifeless corpse. <laughs> so weird, right? Only one person in the group was genuinely upset, on the verge of tears, as she spoke of her boyfriend's troubling lawnmower accident. Can I just have a chance to speak? Oh my god. He always loved mowing the grass. He almost loved it too much. It was kind of weird. Honestly, he spent more time on his lawn than with me. 
The nuns reached out their hands to the girl and dismissed the rest of the group with a soft nod. The girl gravitated towards them, taking their hands, and the sisters guided her into the dark recesses of the room. I called after them. Excuse me, where are you taking her? The silent nuns turned to me and had this to say. Well, I'm not exactly sure what they said, but it was very well put. And with that, they disappeared into the black abyss of the cave-like room. Charlotte, wait up! Oh, hey! Are you all right? Never better. I feel like I just woke up from a dream where it was raining peaches. Is that a good thing? Absolutely, positively! What about your aunt? You know, it's the funniest thing. I used to feel like the world was a darker place without Aunt Lillian, and I didn't know how to keep on living because she was the only person I had growing up because my parents abandoned me. But none of that feels like it matters anymore. You know what I mean? Not really. The sisters are wonderful. They took me into a place of utter darkness and whispered unintelligible things into my ears. And now everything is peachy king. You have a weird thing about peaches. Any hoozle, I'll catch you later, all right? Crestfall Law Enforcement stopped by to pick up a book on dating advice from the church gift shop. Crestfall Law Enforcement was informed by the cashier that Elder Isaiah Goodwin had died that morning, and the butcher had taken the body for examination. Crestfall Law Enforcement grumbled, nodded stiffly, and walked away without paying. Meanwhile, the butcher has been running a tight ship ever since he took over the duties of town coroner. He blocked the entrance of Elder Goodwin's private quarters with masking tape because he couldn't find any crime scene tape. He wouldn't let anyone in, not even yours truly, the obituary writer, who certainly should have first dibs on a crime scene. He took Elder Goodwin to the back of his butcher shop and got to work, slicing and dicing. He sniffed every organ and took notes. He licked Elder Goodwin's lips and spat on the floor. Ugh. Ugh, poison. Ugh, gross. It has a lemony aftertaste, but still, it's poison. Ugh. A deacon, poisoned at the age of 98. There was only one person to talk about this matter with. Our dear friend, Pastor Jeff. About two months ago, Pastor Jeff was sitting at a window-side booth in the Siren's Diner. He was enjoying a full plate of eggs over easy, hash browns of course, coffee please and thank you, and some delicious, delicious sausage made from a recently deceased farmer's goat. Or at least the two goats that the butcher was not entirely keen on. In any case, he was thoughtfully eating his food when Leroy Jones slid into the booth. Are you busy? Pastor Jeff wasn't particularly busy, no but he suddenly had a dire wish that he was. Leroy is the kind of person who asks questions like, are you busy? Which is never a good sign. This means you are in for hours of conversation as Leroy tells coffee-breathed stories of wars he was never in and musicals he was unfortunately in. Pastor Jeff tried to scarf the rest of his food down, but it was too late. Leroy was already ordering with a swift, I'll have what he's having. And there Pastor Jeff was trapped for an unknowable eternity. Leroy began confessing that he was recently having bouts of murderous rage and wasn't sure what to make of it. Pastor Jeff considered this before saying, God has bad days too, and sent him on his way. 
It wasn't long before people started to notice. Suddenly, someone was sliding into Pastor Jeff's window side booth every time he paid a visit to Siren's Diner. And in this way, the diner booth became a confessional booth. Eating food while confessing your sins to a pastor? What could be better? The pastor, of course, did not think so. The anonymity was gone. All their troubles and sins had a face now. He knew that Susan Colick, the local florist, hit a possum with her car on the way into work and felt nothing. He knew that Jonathan Jackson had cheated on his wife, who was sitting in the back of the cafe, sipping on some orange juice while he talked to Pastor Jeff. But then, maybe people just didn't care anymore. They needed to own their feelings, let them hang out in the open, free from hidden guilt and secret judgment. I spotted Pastor Jeff and slid into the booth. Are you busy? <sighs> Not again. I have some dismal news, Pastor. I already know, my dear boy. You finally killed someone, haven't you? I'm not confessing right now. Oh, right. I wanted to tell you, wait, do people really think that about me? Slip of the tongue, huh? I meant you finally grilled for someone. I heard you're quite the chef. Elder Goodwin was poisoned. So you have killed someone. What? No, this, this isn't about me. I have reason to believe Elder Goodwin may have been murdered by someone in the church. They would have needed access to his private quarters. It may be a lengthy search, but I think we can crack this. Oh, it was those twin nuns. They're creepy as hell. Isn't that blasphemous to say? Not when it's true. I'd put my secret stash of gold on it. It's those nuns. I'm not even sure where they came from. I didn't hire them. I think they came from the basement one day. Thank you, Pastor. Wait, Pastor? I have a quick question. Of course. Why do you return to this booth if you know people are going to continue confessing to you? <sighs> Golly. This, this is my booth. One doesn't just abandon one's booth. And I love eggs. And with that, I made my leave. It would be difficult to argue with that kind of logic. And now, the condolences. Don's dinner bucket sends their condolences. They say, $2 eggs on Tuesdays. Charlotte, the friend I now have, is staying in the apartment above her Aunt Lillian's bookshop. It is filled with cheap dollar store romance novels, including, but not exclusively, classic titles such as The Enchantment of the Second Balcony, A Ballad for Lukewarm Hearts, and Who Could Forget, Unwanted Fragrances by Janet Merriweather. I would add these to my reading list later. I needed to know more information about the sisters. Charlotte, how are you feeling? So gosh darn dandy, it's actually bonkers. I just realized none of my childhood dreams came true. And then I stubbed my toe a little bit ago and it kind of tickled. Oh, and this morning I started to feel like I was going to cry, but then I just started laughing hysterically instead and it was great. When is the last time you had a negative emotion about anything? Anything at all? Negative emotions? Who needs negative emotions, silly? You're silly. Am I being silly? We're both silly. It's settled. I need you to think, Charlotte, please. Was it when you started going to the support group? Oh, right. The sisters are absolutely wonderful. 
They took me into a place of utter darkness and whispered unintelligible things into my ears. And now everything is peachy keen. Right. I think I need to have a little chat with the Silent Sisters. The sky felt darker than usual, and an ominous sensation washed over me. Then again, night was coming, and I was hungry, so perhaps that was it. But I would like to think there was something genuinely foreboding in the air as I approached the church of right here right now. No one seemed to be around. Pastor Jeff was still at the Siren's Diner. Elder Isaiah Goodwin was dead. The rest of the clergy was on a field trip to throw holy water at sinners. The raging waters of the painted ceiling above me seemed to swirl on its own accord. I made eye contact with the drowning giraffe and suddenly felt a sense of hopelessness. Perhaps this is what grief feels like, lost in a sea, looking for an ark. I crept down the spiral staircase leading to the basement. The single light was swinging to and fro, like a glowing uvula to the mouth of an abyss. Waiting for me were the nuns. I know what you've done, sisters. Come silently. That should be relatively easy for you. The nuns turned and vanished into the shadows beyond the light, a place of utter darkness. Dare I continue? I absolutely dare. I raced after them, a sinking dread building like stones in my stomach. The swinging light grew distant the farther I delved into the darkness. How deep was this room? Was it a room at all? Where was I going? And that is when it hit me. A rush of wind, an inhale of breath, a sudden levitation that relieved the weight of dread within me. I felt overwhelmingly happy. The nuns took hold of me, although I could not see them. I couldn't speak. My tongue was frozen, every word in my brain vanishing. Let go. Do not fret, our dear child. All will be well. Give us your fears. Let us feast on your tears. You will never feel pain again. Allow yourself the pleasure of delight. Without the burden of despair. Discomfort is not necessary. Suffering is useless. Sadness is a parasite. Relinquish. Release. Give in to us. Empathic vampires. The nuns were beings that ate emotions, consuming every negative feeling within someone. I felt light. I felt numb. They were creatures who fed on grief. The kind of thing I thought you only read about in high school textbooks. This wasn't right. This wasn't the way out of sadness. I knew this to be true. We must face it to move forward, not ignore it, not disregard it. We must own our feelings like the confessors in the Siren's Diner. I tried to resist, but I felt the artificial joy growing within me. I was being emptied, zombified, emotionally lobotomized. I was fading away. Ah! Get back, you duplicitous fiends! Pastor Jeff came launching from the darkness, wielding a flaming torch. He swung it at the sisters, and their grip on me loosened. As Pastor Jeff did backflips and roundhouse kicks, combating the empathic vampires, I could see glimpses of their true form. I would rather not describe them here, as it was too horrifying for the faint of heart. But let's just say that their facial features had disappeared, 
replaced by a giant mouth filled with long, sharp, jagged teeth. They were no longer wearing their habits, and their flesh was transparent. You could see every vein in their body pulsating with a black, oozing fluid. Their spines jutted out like reptilian spikes. But like I said, I won't be describing them here. They retreated into what I now saw was a great tunnel leading away from the church and into the unknown underground of Crestfall. They were gone. For now. Pastor, thank you. Anytime, my sugar biscuit. How did you know I was in trouble? Oh, my dear boy. All you need to know is this. I kick ass for the Lord. With the nuns gone, grief has been returned to the support group members. They aren't happy, but they are themselves again. And given time, they will be happy once more. Why would you do this? Charlotte? For once, I didn't feel so lost. I didn't have to think about my aunt. I didn't have to feel alone with my sadness. And now it's all back. But it wasn't real. You weren't happy because you found happiness. It was fake. At least it was something. You need this grief right now. You will get through it. I just wish there was a third option. You write about death, O.W. But how much do you know about what it feels like to lose someone? I opened my mouth to say something, but nothing came out. My pause was enough, and Charlotte walked away without another word. I was on my way out of the Church of Right Here Right Now when I thought I would stop by Elder Goodwin's chambers. Now that the butcher was not around to stop me, I was certain I knew what happened. When Elder Goodwin left the support group, the empathic vampires were no longer feasting on his emotions, and his grief returned to him in a rush. Instead of turning for help, he poisoned himself, burdened too greatly by the memory of loss. The poison the butcher had found had been brought to Elder Goodwin by his own hand. His chambers told a different story, however. Oh, how I wish I had seen this sooner. And oh, how I wish I had never seen this at all. Every inch of the wall above Elder Goodwin's desk was covered in sketches of a horrific beast. The sketches were crude, shadows scribbled in charcoal, but the image was consistent, picture after picture. The antlers of a stag, the outline of an elongated face, the stalking hunch of a coyote prepared to attack its prey. To the butcher, this would have meant nothing, but this was the beast I had seen in the dark woods. I had thought perhaps it was a dream or a waking nightmare, but here it was before me once again, clear as day, dark as night. Someone else had seen this shadow and was being haunted by it. In his Bible was a note. It read, I tried to save her. I tried to bring her back. There were things I wanted to say, things I wanted to hear. It told me it could help. It told me there was a way, but I did not know the cost. It comes for me. Perhaps Elder Goodwin had still poisoned himself, but I was wrong about the reason. Perhaps there are worse things than emotion-eating vampires. The shadow in the dark woods is making its way into Crestfall. This has been the obituary of Elder Isaiah Goodwin. 
This has been Death by Dying. Written and directed by Evan Gulak. Produced by Nico Gerentis. Featuring the voices of Evan Gulak as the obituary writer and the button-eyed raven. Angela Morris as Charlotte. Joshua Jordan as Pastor Jeff. Headley Knights as the Silent Nuns. Nico Gerentis as Leroy Jones and the Butcher. Martha Mapes as the girl whose boyfriend got run over by a lawnmower. And Donald Gulak as Elder Isaiah Goodwin. Music composed by Nicholas Gasparini, Stephen O'Brien, Kevin McLeod, and Nico Gerentis. Two Lovebirds, written and performed by Evan Gulak, featuring Noah Baldwin on guitar. Sound effects courtesy of freesound.org. Creative producer and script editor, Joshua Jordan. Recording engineer and casting director, Nico Gerentis. If any of you duplicitous listeners would like to send their condolences, comments, hopes, fears, or dreams, you can contact the obituary writer personally at theobituarywriter at gmail.com or follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Death by Dying Pod. And remember, when you are having a bad day, swinging a giant flaming torch around is almost a guaranteed solution. Again, that was Death by Dying, Season 1, Episode 3. Isaiah Died, created by Evan Gulak and Nico Durantes. For more information and news about their upcoming fanfiction livestream, go to deathbydyingpod.com and listen to Death by Dying on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. And for one last bit of humor before the show is out, our friends at It's All Been Done Radio Hour have a noir story for you. A while back, we introduced you to IABD's series, Privates, where Dame Judy Bench asks her ex-boyfriend and private eye, Jack Cotton, to help her find her missing pet. We left you wondering how things would play out, so it's about time that we picked up where we left off in following this gumshoe's footsteps. IABD has been known for their live performances in Columbus, Ohio, but with the pandemic, the live shows became live streams as they continue to put on a show every month. Now, the company is ready to head back into the theater in July. And to celebrate, we're playing a bit of IABD every week to get you prepped to go see them again. You can find out more about their upcoming show and all of their stories and segments at iabdpresents.com. But now, sit back and enjoy a bit of noir. This is Privates, Chapter 3. Enjoy! to another episode of It's All Been Done Radio Hour. We have Chapter 3 of Privates coming at you. Jake Cotton continues his investigation. We also want to thank our parent network, It's All Been Done Presents, found at iabdpresents.com. You can follow them on social media at iabdpresents. And It's All Been Done Radio Hour has its own Facebook page. Also want to thank Circle 270 Media, which this podcast is a part of. Now enjoy Privates. Our next feature tonight is the third installment of our mini-series, Privates. Here's Chapter 3. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jake Cotton, as you'll recall. Private eye and a private case for a woman whose privates I miss all too well. Dame Judy Bench, my ex, has lost her pet Spot, a leopard. 
My first suspect was Judy's mother, Cordelia, who was in Timbuktu. But I also have my eye on Cordelia's ex-boyfriend, Frank Barry, the gold digger. Unfortunately, I'd yet to uncover a clue, and if I ever wanted to uncover Judy again, I would need to find more than one. So I headed down to the docks to see if anyone had shipped a large cat lately. Harry! Jake. Harry. Jake. Harry? Jake. Come on, pal. What's the matter? I ain't your pal. Perhaps not, but you were my client. What a mistake. I'm missing your take. I told you I never wanted to see you again. I thought you were just upset because I... Caught my wife cheating? That's what you paid me to do. I didn't pay you to cheat with a... She seduced me. I'll reduce you if you don't get out of here. She was already cheating, Harry. I was only one of a long line and not the last, I'm sure. And yet, that's more than the last I want to hear from you. I just need some information. Why should I help you? I helped you, didn't I? Saved you from misery? I miss Ollie. I know you do, Harry. But listen, have you seen a leopard down here lately? I ain't seen hide nor hair. But hair. You see everything that comes through here. Everything and everyone. These are my docs and I know I'm good. Well. Well, well what? Never mind. Are you sure? I I got a sneaking suspicion the leopard isn't in town anymore. And this would be the best place to get it out of here. It would be. But it's not here and I'd like you to leave. Harry. No, Jake. The the girl who's missing it. She's mighty sad. You have a pet, don't you? Yeah. How would you feel if your pup went missing? Don't even joke about that. I don't joke. No. You choke a man's heart until it dies. I don't get the metaphor. There's the door. I don't want to see you no more. I'm sorry I've been a bore. Will you let me know if it turns up? Only if you don't. Deal. I mean it. The next time you need something, don't come to old Harry, no matter how hairy the situation. It doesn't get much hairier than a leopard. Sure it does. Fine, Harry. I'm still at the old number. Give me a call when you spot spot. I will. Now get out of my hair before I change my mind. Get out of his hair, I did. I treat my business like a business, and I never understood clients who, uh, who didn't. Sure, I knew Harry would be sore, his wife was cheating, but it wasn't my fault she couldn't be trusted. Judy and I were on a break. And, well, that's, there's a story for another time. I needed to focus on the case at hand, or at paw. I was rapidly running out of ideas, and then it hit me. Literally. When I woke up, I was in a dark room, hands tied behind my back. The wall was cold and hard behind me, and so was the floor. Colder and harder than the iceberg that sank the Titanic, which will become relevant in short order. Hello? Drake? Drake, is that you? Frank? Why did you knock me out? Well, why did you knock me out? I didn't knock you out. Well, I didn't knock you out, old sport. Then who knocked us out? You mean besides the bench women? Obviously. Unless they did it again. Oh, they've done it so many times. Not like this. True. So who did it? I haven't the foggiest, nor can I see the foggiest. Can you get your hands free? You know me and free, Jake. So, always? Oh, 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 there we go. 
there's no we until you free me. Well, why should I? What do you mean, why? How do I know you didn't set me up here? Why would I do that? Why would you do anything you do? Why would you let a girl like Judy get away? I'm trying not to. Can you help my not to? <sighs> Fine. <sighs> That's better. Couldn't be worse. I still can't see. Nor can I, old sport, but what can we do about it? Got a light? If I did, wouldn't I have lit it by now? Don't you smoke? Only after sex. Well, I'm not doing that with you. Not even for a light. You couldn't handle me. I wouldn't want to. Now feel around. Oh, so you do want me. <laughs> well, sorry, old sport, but I'm not interested. Feel around for a light switch or a doorknob or something. Oh, yeah, that I can do. Oh, oh found something. What did you find? Well, it's too dark to tell. What does darkness have anything to do with telling? It's stuck. What's stuck? Me, here with you. Yeah, and? And here we go. <sighs> well, uh, that's light, all right. I think I prefer the dark. How far out at sea are we? Well, I don't see land. Knocked over the head and stuck in the bowels of an ocean liner. What next? What indeed? What indeed? Who abducted Jake Cotton and Frank Berry? Where is the boat going? Come back for Chapter 4 of Privates. It's Lobbin on Radio number 202. Privates number 3, Chapter 3. Star Keith Jackson as Jake Cotton. Shane Stefanczyk as Frank Barry, and Ben Wayne as Harry. It was narrated by Chris Allen. It was written by Jerome Wetzel and directed by Nick Argenbright. Our technical director is Shane Stefanczyk. Our music director is Kristen Green. Our script editor is Keith Jackson. Theme songs are composed by Nathan Haley with lyrics by Jerome Wetzel. The Privates music was composed and performed by Kristen Green. Please check out our website. It's all been done radar.com and have a great week. How far out, how far out at sea are we? I don't see land. Ooh. Yes. It's All Been Done presents Who's Got the Time? Again, that was Privates, Chapter 3, from It's All Been Done Radio Hour. For more episodes and info, including their upcoming show lineup, visit iabdpresents.com. And that's it for tonight. Unfortunately, it's time we bid adieu to our new friends at Folkslore and Death by Dying. Don't forget to check out both of their websites at tincanaudio.co.uk and deathbydyingpod.com. And be sure to search for them on your favorite podcast apps to hear more of their shows. IABD will be back with us next week along with a new spooky story. But don't forget about iabdpresents.com and our own website midnightaudiotheater.com Thanks for joining us for another night of storytelling, dear listeners, and we'll be back again next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. I'm Kathy Ranella signing off, but stay tuned. The BBC World News is coming up next.